0: Before we begin the show, I have exciting news. RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff is now officially sponsoring the Ordinary Voices podcast. RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff is creating dynamic, inclusive, progressive, and grace centered material designed to transform your congregation's worship experience. We're talking really cool stuff like prayers, children's bulletins, children's sermons and skits, take home devotions for adults, original music, plus valuable sermon resources. You really got to go check out their website, clergystuff.com. Their team of gifted writers and editors design unique material to support congregations using the narrative lectionary. Visit clergystuff.com to see a broad spectrum of resources, including a ton of free stuff. RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff is here to make your worship planning experience fun and easy. Visit clergystuff.com. Worship that works for you. I mean, when did you find that you, this writing ability has, I mean,
1: yeah, well, that's the continuation of the story that we had before. After I got sober, you know, obviously I wasn't an ELCA pastor. I <laughs> generally don't let people with C felonies continue to do that, you know. Um.
0: This is Ordinary Voices, inviting ordinary people into conversations about life and faith. I'm your host, Eric Elkin. I created this podcast to help me, a pastor, better understand people and the way they view the world. Now I'm inviting you into the conversation, so together we might listen. Listen for the extraordinary stories dwelling inside every ordinary voice. Guests on the show are not authorities. They're simply people willing to share with us the authenticity of their own thoughts. I try to provide guests the freedom to talk and let them determine the direction of the conversation then reflect upon the things I heard them say. Each show, I ask listeners to listen like a good camp counselor. Good camp counselors allow children to express themselves without judgment. They listen for what the camper is trying to say. People who listen tend to understand each other better, and we live in a world desperate for ears. So let's begin today's show, Crashing to Life, by meeting our guest.
1: Well, I'm Dan Maurer. Uh, Daniel D. Maurer is my author name that I use. Uh, I'm a published, uh, 10 times published author of uh, children's books, but also um, books for adults. And uh, this is what I do now in my life. I've been doing uh, freelance writing and publishing and uh, all sorts of online businesses for the past seven years. How I got to this place, though, it's, that's a story in its own right.
0: Dan and I crossed paths years ago in seminary, but Facebook reconnected us. His story is compelling, as you will learn, but I was also fascinated by his work to give voice to other people's stories. In many ways, it felt like we were doing similar work. Dan is currently part of the creative team behind the sponsor, RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff. It was a result of this interview that Dan discovered the Ordinary Voices podcast, and thus their sponsorship. He also designed the New Ordinary Voices website, so you need to check that out when you're done. But the real story is about how he got to this point. It's a story about crashing to life. Let's listen.
1: Grew up in Inoka, Minnesota. It was the Halloween capital of the world. Um, Had good parents. But, you know, um, suffered from depression, had some struggles early in my life. Um, The way that I dealt with that is I drank uh, Mm -hmm. at first. I mean, because alcohol was the thing that was available. Um, And, you know, of course, back then when I was a teenager um, and um, I went to, I should mention too, I went to Germany. I lived there for a year and a half Uh, and I was in high high school. Yeah, in high school. I was an exchange student, and so... <laughs> we should do the whole interview in German. Really <laughs> so after I came back from Germany, I finished high school, uh, went to Concordia. I um, always had this drinking thing, but didn't think that it was anything different than anybody else around me. I mean, okay. people in high school and college, they binge drink. I mean, that's something that they do in... Um, at that time it was kind of social, but then later on it, it morphed into something that I only did alone and I just got more and more into my shell. Two years after serving, um, as a a banking employee in Eastern Montana, that's where my wife is from. Okay. We decided to go to Warbrook Seminary and then started there in 97. And, uh, during that time I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and that, that really changed everything. So, um... Ulcerative colitis, what it is, is it is an autoimmune disorder of the uh, large intestine. It's basically where the mucosal layer of the large intestine decides to eat itself. Um, you know, you've got cramp and you've got blood. Um, it's just not very
0: nice. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Those one, are two things that don't belong to you, Exactly. You? <laughs> so one time I,
1: I was having a flare-up um, after I'd been diagnosed, and I told my wife that she needed to take me to the emergency room. And I don't know if the doctor... There, made a mistake, or he actually thought I was in that much pain, but he gave me three refills of, I think, 20 or 30 Demerol, which is a very powerful opiate. Now, there was no way I needed that much. Maybe on that day I I could have used that. It would have been all right, but... I went through one script and went through the next script and it was like the third script and it was gone and then I got dope sick after that. You know, I had withdrawals. I didn't know what it was, but I right. just thought I had the flu or something like that. Yeah. That was it. Opiates took me to the place where I wanted to be. And much more so than alcohol. Alcohol, by, I mean, I, I do tell people in my recovery life that uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic because I drank alcoholically, but if you... Took all the drugs that I had taken in in life and placed them here on the counter. Be sort of amazing looking at them all. (laughs) But you know, alcohol would be one of the last ones that I went to. I mean, opiates would be the first.
0: Dope sick is a term used to describe withdrawal from opiates. It can include vomiting and diarrhea. But it can also produce depression, anxiety, and a craving for the drug. One of the reasons Dan prefers opiates is that alcohol did more damage to his body. The harsh physical impact of alcohol is often glossed over in our modern culture, where it is seen as the safe drug. I think it important to note addiction is not contained in the pill. The pills feed the addiction.
1: Started serving at a parish in western North Dakota. I was happy with that. Um I'm an outdoorsman. I enjoy hunting. And uh, I enjoyed life on the northern prairie. I uh, had a good first call. But about after three years, I just thought, you know, I don't want to be doing this anymore. And here I have a graduate degree. And my wife uh, is wonderful. The way she's put together, the way she's wired is she is a nester. I mean, she likes to make her nest, and that's where we stay. I mean, we could have have stayed in Underwood, North Dakota, I think, for the rest of my career, and she would have been fairly happy, I think. Right. In 2007, we moved from Underwood to Williston, um, which was unique because the oil boom was hot. Everything was really big. We were afraid that we weren't going to get housing when we went there. We did find a house. We were very fortunate. Purchased that there. And... um, but, of course, I, t- I took along my addictions with me and all my problems.
0: Never, in, in Underwood, never came out in the congregational setting. Ne- and
1: even. that's the congregation, but, I mean, they, they saw other problems because, of course, addiction causes all sorts of issues. Right. I mean, I, I have a lot of shame that I've had to work through in the past where I picked up my kids in my pickup truck, drunk, and drove them home from daycare.
0: Right.
1: You know, I, I just thought always, well, you know, I'm in control and I'm not like other people. Well... That is one unique thing that you get with every person who deals with addiction in their life. They all think they're unique. Right. Every single one of them. (laughs) When you're talking about addiction recovery, the way that the media portrays it is totally unrealistic. You watch any sort of uh, movie that portrays the old drunken detective who, uh, you know, he's hitting it hard the whole night. And he's just pounding whiskey, shot after the next. He wakes up and... Walks in to uh, talk to a supervisor and the in the captain at the police department says, "Boy, John, you look like shit. Are you can you do this? Oh, of course I can. You know, I'm the t- Mr. Tough guy." And then he goes out and he solves the crime and everything's fine. He you know he gets the girl and that's yeah. totally unrealistic. The way that a drug use and alcohol use are are portrayed in the media continues to be unrealistic. Yeah. And the stark reality is, is addiction is an absolute. Pandemic around the world, epidemic in the United States.
0: Addiction is not a new problem, nor is it one unique to the United States. One of the foundational elements of the Muslim faith, the banning of alcohol, was in response to addiction issues destroying culture at the time of Muhammad. The media misrepresents all addiction drugs are demonized, alcohol is glorified as a functional outlet, when both are equally destructive to the addict. Again, you need to know, addiction is not just about the substance. The issues are deeper, as Dan will explain. Dan is also a speaker for the Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation, the nation's largest nonprofit alcohol and drug treatment center. They published his first significant writing endeavor, Sobriety, a Graphic Novel.
1: So things progressed. I mean, they always do. Uh, I do believe that addiction is a disease, although um, when I speak publicly about this, I am a Hazelden speaker, I describe it as an induced mental illness. That is, Mm. I have the genetic capacity and the makeup in my brain uh, to be geared towards alcohol and drugs because it does something for me. And when you add that stuff in, that is when it's um, induced into that state, you become crazy. And the, the craziness that... Goes on is that you believe that you can control these things when in actually actuality it, it's in control of you. Right. Yeah. And uh, so uh, this illness, this induced mental illness, this disease, it did progress in my life, and I went through one treatment, uh, went through another treatment, and then the third one. Uh, the way that that came about is that um, I have been taking benzodiazepines. That's like Valium, um, Ativan uh, right. or SPAM. And I don't been using them concomitantly with uh, alcohol. Now, when you use those two drugs together, especially when you use them together, they can happen alone, too, if you take too much. But you get an instant blackout. Now, a blackout is not passing out. A blackout is your brain is detached from your mind. It's called uh, intergrade amnesia. And so you'll do things, and you won't have any recollection of doing those things. And your inhibitions are way down. So that means that... You don't know anything that you're gonna do, and I have lots of, you know, drunk-a-logs that I could tell you about. But I'm <laughs> yeah. gonna, I, I mean, I'm gonna boil it down to what 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 happened. Um, uh, I was arrested for felony trespass uh, of several different places, uh, and vast majority of that I've done in a blackout, so I don't recall it. But you know, my life was just coming down around me, and my wife had known about my addiction for a long time, but at this point, it was like. You know, do or die. You need to really, re really evaluate what's what's happening in your life. In the
0: congregation, were they noticing this? Were they? How are they? Oh, definitely. I mean, the last one where I served, I
1: was I was completely dysfunctional at right. that point. I mean, I was making my morning worship, but didn't know what I believed at all, and it just just kind of going through the motions. Right. And what I say, the way that I perceive it is that. God didn't make me be in this situation. This was a bad thing. It was a bad thing for my family, everything. Mm -hmm. The ironic point that I want to convey to you and your listeners is that I wouldn't trade it for anything. (laughs) (laughs) I am the person I am today because of the bad things that happened to me and the work that I had to do. And I have my beliefs today, my convictions, because of those bad things that happened. So what's important? why this is important to other people, especially when they deal with family members and pe- uh, people that they know, loved ones in, in addiction, is that um, people can and do get better. There are millions of lives in the United States where people have recovered their lives in uh, long-term function. I've been sober for seven years now. Right. Um, Part of my higher power was the Williams County Sheriff's Department. <laughs> you know, you know, the other part you know, was, was my wife and uh, you know my family, my friends. Right. Um, the other part, I believe was the infinite one, God.
0: Right. Reflecting on this section, my thoughts turned to the silent partner in Dan's story, the congregation. I followed a pastor who had addiction issues. Like Dan, his behavior was destructive to himself, his family, and the congregation. I never felt anger towards him, but people in the congregation did. Listening to Dan makes me wonder. When a pastor crashes, can the congregation's need to express anger prevent them from seeing the power of the resurrection? Prevent them from proclaiming the one thing which holds them together, the hope of Christ? For some of the congregation I served, I think it did. Now, in my defense on this upcoming section, I was told specifically there would be no testing of Greek in our interview.
1: I have some tattoos on my arms, and you have to describe. I'll, let's test you. Let's oh, see man. if you remember. Um, this. It ta- starts on this side.
0: Not
1: too bad, it's anacephalaisostai, tapatanta christo, this one,
0: christo you probably recognize right And panta, panta, Um, everything. Everything, yeah.
1: It is a portion from Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 10b, yeah, Um, the first chapter. Um, all things will be filled up in Christ. And I got it when I got sober. Everybody needs a sober tat. <laughs> and it's, it's a reminder to me every day, you know, I see this and people ask about it sometimes, that um, uh, the place where I come from and my belief system is such that God can use the bad things that happen to you in life and the bad things that you choose and make something good out of it. Hmm. Always. 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 always, any situation when it seems hopeless, um, well, in, in many ways it is hopeless. We nobody's getting out here alive, right? You know, in 150 years, unless they
0: turn us into robots or something. <laughs> I Even mean, think about sure. that, you know. You know, talking about Lazarus, your dog. Yeah. Okay. I always tell people, you know, Lazarus still died.
1: Yes, he did. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> you know he, he was mean, raised once, then he died again. My <laughs> dog
0: Lazarus Who was born dead, and the breather
1: rubbed on him. He came back to life. That's how he got his name, Lazarus. Lazarus will one day die You know, and I yeah. think about that The hope that we have uh, In the story that we tell ourselves And I do believe it is the story that has power
0: right.
1: Is that there is A hope beyond that And it's completely faith There's nothing in the universe that can prove this There's nothing that can disprove it yeah. Why do we have this belief? Is it because of some psychological need to, to comfort ourselves, to live with the ennui and um, nihilism of, of existence? Perhaps, yes. Yeah. But I just do. And I, I dabbled a little bit, especially after I got um, sober. I dabbled with atheism and agnosticism, and it didn't work for me. And yeah. the reason why it didn't work is that's not the person who I am.
0: So when you went to Hazleton, you had actually gone for three months?
1: Yes, I did. Three months. Um, I was there for one month in what they call our primary unit. And I said to the counselor, okay, all right, now I'm done. Now i got to stick up on my life. And they're like, no. (laughs) You're a hardcore case. We really suggest that you, I mean, they can't. Keep me there, but, the, right. but my lawyer and my wife and everybody else just 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 do it. You know, right. um, I was fortunate; my health insurance paid. Many people now, um, their health insurance isn't paying. But I look at addiction as uh, any other uh, illness or, yeah. or disease. It's it's difficult saying disease because people you see somebody in the supermarket and and um, he's got a giant growth on the side of his face, and your child says, "Mommy, what's wrong with him?" Oh, he has a disease, honey. That makes sense. You know, you put the same situation. um, The mother and her child are driving along the highway, and a guy is in front of him driving erratically, and he goes off into the ditch. You know, he's a drunk that needs help. The child asks, well, what's wrong with him, mommy? Oh, he has a disease. You see, it doesn't quite match because the the difficulty with mental illness and addiction is that it deals with a different organ. There's there's diseases of the skin, the one that I talked about with the growth. right? Uh, right. Heart disease, there's you know, kidney disease, there's diabetes, uh, right. all, all sorts of these organs. Well, the organ we're talking about with addiction and mental illness is the brain. To make that differentiation, it's very important that people understand that it is a disease. It is right. an illness, and there is a genetic component. There's a, the component of choice, too, that we put into this, but we could talk about free will and all those and things, but right. we don't want to bar people. Yeah. Um, it, it's but well, there, that there it's... is
0: there is something about that because you you have addiction, which is a, a disease. And clearly there's a genetic component to this disease. Yes, right. Okay. I mean, and a physical component too. Yeah, right. And so we're talking about that in that choice to stay sober, where my wife really struggles with something that's like pedophilia. Okay. Okay. And um and I, you know, I kind of always argue: you still have a choice. Uh, yeah, right. You know, in that situation, right, right. Um, and that's kind of always been a spiritual um, struggle for Peggy. Why? Why does anybody?
1: Right, right. So you see somebody um, who's a pedophile. Um, there's a neat podcast out there. I wish I could remember what it was. It was on. It was on Radiolab.
0: We have a convergence of thought going on here. The Radiolab podcast Ann will talk about was a 2003 episode about a man diagnosed with Kluver-Busey syndrome, a condition caused by damage to the anterior temporal lobes of the brain. The person interviewed in the podcast, Kevin, argued he had no control over his criminal actions, which gets to my wife's point. What do you do with people who have no neurological control over their actions, What what a horrible life to the person and the victims. My counter to her question is to say you still have a choice. When someone is diagnosed with a genetic condition, you have a decision on how to respond. For example, Dan has the disease of addiction. To be healthy, he needs to maintain his sobriety. In short, it's a decision, a choice he has. But now as I listen, I'm not sure it's quite that simple. So let's let Dan explain.
1: a man who had seizures and um, went in for an operation and they took out a portion of his brain and it cured him of seizures. You know, he wanted to get this operation. What well, did something else. It turned him into the, where he really got off looking at pictures of young children naked. Holy and man. so, yeah, it changed him. Taking out that portion of his brain changed him. And this this is, this is what, what people have to understand. And that's why it's scary, the brain illnesses, because it freaks us out. right? And also, I mean, it brings into question all these things about what, what really is free will. I mean, is this something that is just uh, gray matter up here? Or, pure, or is, there, is there something metaphysical connected with it? There's a drug that has a black box warning. The drug is called ReQuip. And it's used for restless leg syndrome and a few other situations. It's a dopamine um, modulator. It modulates okay. the dopamine in your brain. And one of the black box warnings that you have on there, two of them actually. One is you be- you can become um, a compulsive gambler, and you can become uh, sexually compulsive also. And wow, yeah, no, it's real. I mean, so you, yeah. you take this drug, and this is what happens. You know, when people say, "Well, yeah, you have a choice." Well. Hold on now. Do you really? Wow! It brings into question the whole issue of what what free will is. Um, well, in the case of addiction, you know, I, I have to um, maintain myself. It, it, in my modality of recovery that I use is, is twelve steps. Um, I have to maintain my sobriety um, through connecting with others, through helping others, and keeping myself spiritually fit. And what spiritual fitness? Why that has? Um, any relevance why it's germane to this discussion is um alcoholics and drug addicts actually are seeking after a spiritual experience and that that just blew me away when i first uh, understood that it was like yeah the place where i want to get to the place of um opiate bliss is like is it's exactly akin to when my mother would take a warm blanket out of a dryer. I was watching Sesame Street as a kid oh. and it wrapped it around me. Now, who wouldn't want to feel that? I mean, right. we, you know, we're, we're accepted, we're loved. I mean, every, everything is well and all right. Uh, the opiates, they trigger the receptors in your brain and also the area of the brain called the nucleus accumbens. And what that does is uh, that's the place that generates um, how anxious you are. It's the way that you're wired. Now, right. you probably just know I'm talking to me. I'm... A, I'm, I'm I am high strung.
0: <laughs> yeah. you know. I, you're, you're the second interview where I've had somebody just go, and I'm like sitting there just going, okay, just run. Yeah, you just, just run let it go. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. I'm just like diarrhea in the mouth. Some fire hydrant just no, turn no, it on. You're, uh, you're absolutely blowing me away with this stuff. We see a person whose life is destroyed by opiates and wonder why you would ever want to do that to yourself. But here Dan tells us, opiates trigger the deepest place of spiritual comfort and ease to an anxious and fearful soul. Who wouldn't want that? But it's a lie. What feels like comfort is actually destruction. For Dan, sobriety is not found in a decision, but in being disciplined to spiritual health. A discipline he found when he crashed. In short, when he crashed to life. After this brief commercial, we'll make a transition from Dan's story to the use of story for coping and transformation. I want to thank you for listening. Ordinary Voices is about listening to the thoughts of ordinary people in hopes that will build a better understanding of each other. If you're interested in listening to more Ordinary Voices podcasts, go to the website ordinaryvoices.org or follow it on iTunes and Stitcher. You'll also find Ordinary Prayers, podcast prayers, to invite ordinary people into ordinary conversations with God. Go to the website OrdinaryVoices.org and check out the Spirit Garage. If you just want something to read, sign up to receive the devotions on the website OrdinaryVoices.org. Ordinary Voices is a listener-supported show. If you enjoy it, please consider financially supporting it on the website OrdinaryVoices.org. Also check out RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff, dynamic, inclusive, progressive, and grace-centered resource material designed to transform your congregation's worship experience. Visit ClergyStuff.com to see their broad spectrum of resources, including the free stuff. ClergyStuff.com. Worship planning made fun and easy. Dan created a website called Transformation Is Real. It gave a platform for others to share their stories. It got me thinking about the use of stories for healing. So I asked Dan about it. You start diving into people's stories. Right. The transformation is real. I was enjoying reading those stories, but it made me th- one of the things that made me think about those stories is how much, when I'm a, as a pastor, try to get you into a story, and I tell a story, that boundary of what's my story and what's somebody else's story, um, it, it, can, can you claim that kind of thing? But it was interesting. The one that really caught me was um, somebody that um, had been raped and talking about how the media takes their story. Mm-hmm. And when you take the story, in some ways, it does even more damage to them. And I just kind of mm. even talk about the use of story in 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 coping mm-hmm. with life. I don't know if you
1: yeah. Makes let sense. me talk about a couple of things. You're referring to my website. Uh, Transformation is real. You can find it on changesreal.com. It's still up there. Um, I told you, Eric, I'm no longer doing that because <laughs> yeah. life has gone so many other directions. Right. So, um, right. uh, my Life as a writer has has changed. Um, um, You can only do so much. Yeah, right. Um, uh, Human beings are story creatures. Hmm. Let me say that again, because if you hear nothing else in this podcast, I want you to hear this. Human beings are story creatures. We are the only species on the planet that thrives and understands the world through the stories we encounter. The way that works in everyday life, you know, if I open up my computer to you and I'm showing you a bit of web, web code and I say, yeah, this, this href over here, this makes a link click over there. I mean, it's, unless you really dig that sort of thing like I do. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's kind of boring, you know? Right. Uh, but if I sit down and I share with you my story of addiction to recovery, you immediately get drawn in because you, you begin to uh, wonder what ended up happening. Um, how does this story relate to my life and, uh, and how does it work? Um there's a reason why books and online media and movies, and especially movies now, uh, mm-hmm. TV shows, uh, we're living sort of in the golden area of TV. It's ironic because it's all online. But right. why, why does that continue to draw people in? Why do people find entertainment through it? Because they're stories. Right. And um, that's, in fact, the best stuff in the Bible. They're stories. Right. Jesus tells really weird stories. They're called parables. People often think, oh yeah, parables are so natural and stuff. No, they're not. They're the weirdest thing ever. (laughs) Parables, parabole in Greek means, you know, beside life. And they are definitely just something odd. You know, you take... Um, the prodigal son, everything. Oh, yeah, the guy goes off and he wastes everything, and it's so normal. He comes back and his dad loves him, but they don't realize how countercultural and radical that story is. Right? Consistently, Jesus uses stories; he just doesn't just make proclamation, and that's because it engages people. It engages people's mind. Now, one, one thing that I love as a writer uh, in my nonfiction life, I've I've shared other people's stories, and you're right; there is an intersection that takes place. Um, where that person's story ends and then yours, yours begins, because you wrote their story. Uh, especially with Endured, there was you know seven different candidates that I wrote their stories. Right. Um, I'm now a part of that story too. Right. Yeah, I'm a part of your story, Eric. You know when right. you're part of a faith community in church, you're a part of the, uh, the other people's stories. Right. The gospel, uh, the hope that we have of the resurrection. That is, quote-unquote, just a story. Now, what I'm going to say about that is, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have any power. It means it has a ton of power, because that's we're all about that, and God is all about that. Right. In my faith life now, whether or not it was made up, Jesus, 99.9% sure did exist at one day. Now, Whether or not he did all this, those things, or he told those specific stories, we don't know. But I don't really care. <laughs> what matters to me in my life today is that I believe this story, And that story does something for me in my life today. And uh, I do hope that it ends up being real. But, you know, if after we die, we just go to the pit of nothingness, I'm not going to know anyway. So it doesn't really matter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, uh,
1: everybody everybody has that point in their life. And a lot of times for me, it happens late at night. uh, I call it peering into the abyss. And many people have had this experience where you close your eyes, ready to go to sleep. And all of a sudden you have this thought, oh my God, what if after I die, there is nothing? And it's the most panic-inducing, awful thought that you can have. And uh, the way that I banish it, at least, is I just remind myself, your life is a story. That story somehow goes on, and there's something bigger than you out there, and you don't have to worry about this.
0: Right.
1: And the universe is a very large place. You know right. how many billions and billions of stars that we have out there. I mean, it, it, physicists at this point they don't even really know why matter exists. Why does anything exist? Right. We, we it came out of nothing. Um, the Christian principle and Jewish principle of um, that God created out of nothing. That at least theoretically has been confirmed with theoret- theoretical physicists saying that uh, you know the Big Bang started from nothing. Well, what was before the nothing? Well, nothing. And the direction at least my writing life is going, this is apropos all the stuff that we're talking about, is I would like to write uh, uh, theological science fiction fantasy. Oh. And so I'm switching my writing life to going from nonfiction to fiction because fiction has always been my first love. Um It's what I really uh, uh, write well. Uh, You're going to get sucked in right away.
0: The starting point of faith is just being open to something bigger than you, being open to the mystery of life, and being comfortable with the things you cannot control. The next step, like Dan suggests, is weaving your story into the story of faith. This is something I believe the broken understand better than anyone.
1: There's a quote from someone, I can't remember what it was, that said uh, The fastest racehorses are always the wildest. <laughs> but even the wildest horse needs to be broken. Hmm. And uh, I was broken. Yeah. God's connection with me and with others is that God, I believe, chooses to enter into that brokenness and to create possibilities that uh, wouldn't be there otherwise right. to transform us.
0: Transformation is real. Right. The brokenness of the cross becomes the most amazing story for those who have been broken.
1: Yeah, in fact, well, I don't know if you recall in the seminary, I, I, I asked uh, Professor Dwayne um one time I just went into his office and I said, what makes Christianity... I mean, just you know, I was this intense person. Like I am now. <laughs> what makes Christianity any more unique than any other religion or belief out there? He said, nothing really. I said, but if you had to name one thing. He said, the cross. That's it. That's the only thing that's unique. I mean, you can take all the sayings of Jesus. I mean, yeah, he has unique parables and all those things. But you get... Um, you. You can find a parallel. Yeah, other I mean, places, yeah, you can right? find a parallel within also dead religions, historic religions of you know God becoming man. That's out there,
0: right? Yeah,
1: right. but there are no religions except Christianity that states points to the cross and, and says, "There's God." You I mean you? We've we've turned the cross and the manger and all those all those things into you know these quaint little belief items. Oh, look at that. Isn't that a pretty cross that you got for your graduation? Right. Right, right. Right. right, But we, we know what that is. I mean, if Jesus had been born today and was executed in the United States in some state, uh, and thousands of years later, human beings would be wearing these little hypodermic needles right. around there, or an electric chair. <laughs> and then, you know, then they would say, oh, isn't that a gorgeous yeah. little electric chair you got for your... I, it, it, it is yeah. the cross is a symbol of 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 uh, capital punishment, degradation and death. Where uh, you know Romans used it. Why did they use it? Because it was awful.
0: Right. You know you
1: didn't get put up there. Jesus, uh, the story goes and he was lucky. I mean, majority of people went up there. They shit their pants. The piss was all over the place. Right. It was stinky. You know Golgotha, the place of the skull. That is not. That is not where we. Where any rational person would say, "There is God."
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, that is that, that is the place of complete absence from God. That that's hell. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So, what does that mean? Does that mean that we're a death cult? You know, no, we don't worship death. Well, we say that there is something beyond that. That God has entered into all of humanity. In fact, all of creation. In the tiniest corner. Of the universe that doesn't even have a hydrogen atom floating around in it. God is there.
0: That's radical. Listening to Dan, the words of the second chapter of Mark come to mind Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. Dan's story reveals the power of the cross story to bring humans to life. Jesus was crushed into life, and so was Dan. The crushed can come to life. Transformation is real. And what feels like the absence of God turns out to be the place where Christ dwells most deeply, in the broken body and soul.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't have to have faith to believe that people can transform their lives No, yeah you don't know. you don't need to yeah but
0: you're not eliminating that
1: no you know why do I keep going with faith why does anybody keep going with faith um, we, we don't have answers to that it's just it's just who we are it is what it is <laughs> no. life isn't like a story imagine if you had to go to a movie the entire first thirty minutes is somebody washing the dishes and then they go use the bathroom and then you watch them pull the covers over, and go to sleep for a bit. And that was the first 30 minutes of the movie. You'd say, I'm out of here. <laughs> this movie <laughs> sucks. Right. And the point is, is that life isn't a story, but out of it, we transform it. We, we compile it. I suppose We're more like computers. We, we compile all the stuff that happens our day into digestible bits to say, this is who I am. This is my identity. And the reason why we have that is it helps us... Form a reality and make sense of the chaos that's that's around us, um, because it is it is chaos. You know, and life is going to continue to be life. Uh, there's a great uh, line that Robert De Niro states in the Deer Hunter. It's one of my favorites because it's such a weird phrase. Um, his character in the Deer Hunter is is chastising another member of his crew because he forgot to bring b- boots out. And you recall that the film is about Vietnam vets mm-hmm. and, and all that they go through. It's a, war, it's a war movie that has a grand total, I think, of three minutes of war scenes. Right, right. It's very odd. Robert De Niro, he, take, he holds a bullet and he's chastising this other guy who forgot his boots and he says, this isn't something else. This is this. And I was what the hell does it mean? This is this. <laughs> and uh, there have been a lot of interpretations about it, but this is the, way, the interpretation that I make is that... Our lives are just our lives, and uh, different things are going to happen, and bad things are going to happen, and good things are going to happen. Life, that's what it is. Um, the story that we frame around that life uh, matters, and it makes a difference. And y- in fact, you have the power to transform your story because you can view it from a different perspective. That's the main point that I bring out in my book, Endure, is that if you have a spiritual asset, say, mine was honesty you begin to embrace that you begin to see the world in a new and a different way and it allows you to go through the shit and the difficult things that happen in your life and because they're going to happen right. you know I, I always ask my wife you know how do I know something bad isn't going to happen I'm an anxious person and she said something bad is going to happen sometime you know maybe not today probably not today right. but it will happen that's life right. you know how do we survive that we interpret the bad things through the lens of the cross. Um, at least I do, as a believer, as right. a follower of Jesus. Right. That I look to the story of Jesus and the story of the cross and the story of the resurrection and I interpret my life around that. And that's a story worth telling.
0: In my life, there have been a handful of truly transformative conversations which have informed my faith. I would include this as one. Stories are powerful, perhaps one of the greatest powers in the universe. Because we know, even if it's not always evident, stories are about truth. A truth we can taste, see, and feel. They're not facts. Facts are easy to digest and manage. Truth, however, is something bigger than the human mind can completely comprehend and definitely cannot control. It always escapes the mind's yearning for proof. Dan, his story, his life, his faith modeled this point. Explaining physiological and neurological components of his disease are fascinating and help his recovery. But life and truth are in the story. Truth, like a story, is always helping people be made new. Faith is not about what you do for God, but what God is doing in you to help you find new life, which is always the story. And like Dan said is why the story is worth telling. That's our show. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank Dan for sharing. I encourage you to check out clergystuff.com. RCL Worship Resources by Clergy Stuff is where worship planning is made fun and easy. Seriously, check out all of Dan's written work. Search Daniel D. Maurer on Amazon.com and you'll find his books, Sobriety, a graphic novel, Far Away, a suburban boy's story as a victim of sex trafficking, and his newest book, Endure, the power of spiritual assets for resilience to trauma and stress. It's really a fascinating read. My next interview will explore recovery with Patrice Selmery, who is the executive director of Recovery Advancement. We will talk about the risks and rewards of addiction recovery among college students. Until then, check out the website, OrdinaryVoices.org. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. This is a listener-supported show, so if you enjoy it, please consider financially supporting it by clicking the Donate button on the website, OrdinaryVoices.org. On behalf of all Ordinary Voices, thanks for listening, and I look forward to our next conversation.